Good morning. So 12 years ago, in August of 2007, uh, I began experiencing a steadily worsening pain in my right shoulder. Originally diagnosed as rotator cuff tendonitis, it did not respond to any treatment. I was losing strength in my right arm until I could not even lift it or perform simple tasks. This was a major concern for me as I am right-handed. Increasing weakness and pain continued for two months, and then in October, I had an MRI and a bone scan of my shoulder. With my medical knowledge as a veterinarian, I was becoming more and more uneasy about a possible diagnosis. I had an appointment Thursday morning, October 11, with my orthopedic doctor to go over these test results. Uh, My wife, Julie, went with me, though she was unaware of my worries and had no real concerns about the appointment. (coughs) Dr. Wilson is a Christian. Uh, He came into the room, I introduced Julie, and he got right down to business. He showed us the bone scan results and said, Well, folks, I'm very sorry, but it looks like we have a tumor of some sort here. At this point, I need to refer you to a specialist who can help you. Let me step out and get that process started. He then excused himself and left the room. I put my arm around Julie, and she began to cry. Dr. Wilson soon returned and informed us that there were only two orthopedic oncologists in the state, and that one, Dr. Rugraff, was here in Indianapolis. He briefly explained what the bone scan showed, and then the Lord intervened in two specific ways for us. Number one, Dr. Wilson asked if he could pray with us. We were not able to pray for ourselves at that point. But he was, and he prayed for me, he prayed for Julie, for our girls, for Dr. Rugraff, and then praised and thanked God for bringing us together. It was a powerful prayer at a moment when we we needed it most. Number two, Dr. Rugraff's office could see me that very afternoon, a highly unusual circumstance since it could have taken weeks to see a specialist like this. I was supposed to work that afternoon, so uh, after a tearful goodbye, I drove back to work while Julie drove home. I am a veterinarian. In January of that same year, 2007, I had become 100% owner of my clinic, purchased from uh, my boss and mentor, Dr. Vaughn, uh, who was now set to retire in just a few weeks. I had hired a new vet in June who was to take over his workload. I arrived at the clinic and informed everyone of my results. Dr. Bond, instead of retiring, took over my entire schedule from that moment on until I could return to work. I left my clinic to go to my next doctor's appointment that afternoon with the feeling of relief and gratitude, knowing that I did not need to worry about my business. God had led me to that clinic for many reasons that have become more and more evident over the last 28 years. But that year and the three that were to follow left me feeling extremely blessed. Julie and I met at Dr. Rugraff's office. He informed us that there was a 40% chance of a benign tumor and a 60% chance of a more serious malignancy. He recommended a bone tumor biopsy. During surgery, pathologists would immediately look at the biopsy. If it was benign, giant cell tumor, it would be surgically removed at that time. If it was anything else, then they would wake me up and we would have to wait for the full pathology report to determine our next step, either more surgery, radiation therapy, or chemotherapy. My surgery was scheduled for the following Wednesday. That night, I contacted friends and family and to begin praying for us. The next day, Friday, our daughters stayed with grandparents while we drove to Traverse City, Michigan for a pre-planned four-day vacation to close our lake cottage. We had a lot to talk about. This had come upon us very suddenly. We were very uncertain about what the immediate and long-term future would hold for us both both personally and, since Barry was a small business owner, financially. We spent a lot of time together. 
The fall color was beautiful and the lake was still and quiet. That place was a perfect setting for us to discuss our situation and pray over it together. Overall, we felt that we had tried to live our lives as faithful Christians, and as we talked about the past and possibly the future, we found that we really did not have many regrets. On Sunday night, I had just fallen asleep when I was awakened by a sudden excruciating pain in my shoulder. I could not even sit up. Julie called 911, the EMTs arrived and started IV morphine, and then the ambulance took me to the emergency room in Traverse City. X-rays showed that the bone had snapped at the tumor site, a pathologic fracture, and the broken edges were grinding together. Here is what a normal shoulder looks like on the left, and this is what my bone looked like. Uh, The bone is very thin and fragile. Close up of the actual fracture site, you can see the separation of the bone. They prescribed powerful oral pain medication and released me with my arm in a sling and advised us to keep it as still as possible. Uh, there, there was nothing more they could really do for me since I already had a surgery scheduled in three days. We returned to the cottage around 3 a.m. and slept for a couple of hours. I waited just until Dr. Rugraff's office opened to call and tell them what had happened. I also called our families and Barry's colleagues at work. It was a challenge to get home. Barry was often only semi-conscious. I had to pack our things close the cottage, get Barry safely in the car, keep his three-pill medication schedule in my head, see to his needs during the trip, and drive seven hours to Indy, all on little sleep. My family had been busy all day contacting everyone. We had more than five churches and many individuals praying for us. In addition, the veterinarian Barry had just hired got a group of his staff together over lunch and led prayer for us. On that drive home, I was completely buoyed up by feelings of clarity, wakefulness, and calm. I had unusually easy traffic and was able to stop for food and rest in areas where Barry's appearance would not cause comment. I knew I was being prayed for in a way I had never experienced before. We arrived safely at the hospital late Monday afternoon and Barry was immediately admitted and begun on IV pain medication and fluids. Tuesday was hard. Barry spent the day on morphine, fading in and out of awareness. Family members and our daughters visited. Once more, at a time when neither of us seemed able to pray for ourselves, the care pastor of our church visited and prayed for us powerfully and then stayed with us during the surgery that evening. At the hospital during Barry's surgery, we received word that the tumor was not malignant, but rather was a benign giant cell tumor. Overall, Dr. Rugraff removed about four inches of the humerus just below the head of the shoulder, and then he put it back together again with bone cement and two long pins. Soon after my surgery, Dr. Rugraff presented my case at an orthopedic oncology meeting. He admitted to me that when he and his colleagues at the meeting looked at my case study, due to the severity and invasiveness of this tumor, they felt that it looked far more like a malignant cancer and not a benign tumor. So he was surprised, but extremely pleased that the results had said otherwise. I will tell you what I believe. Uh, My tumor had been a malignancy. The Lord answered prayer and reached down and changed it to benign. I believe at that moment God changed it. He made sure I knew something miraculous had occurred, and he left it fractured.
So I continued to rest and recover at home. In November, I returned to work half days and limited my activity while doing constant physical therapy to regain strength and mobility. I was determined, despite intense pain, to return to normal function. Every week, I had slow but significant improvement in strength, endurance, and flexibility. By February, I was back at full work time. Things were beginning to look good. Unfortunately, in March, I began experiencing worsening pain again and gradually lost the strength and mobility I had regained in physical therapy. After a month of discontinuing therapy and resting my right arm, there was no improvement. In May, a CAT scan and a surgical biopsy under anesthesia found that the giant cell tumor had returned in the head of my humerus. I needed surgery again, only seven months after the first surgery. This time, I would lose the entire upper one-third of my right humerus and have it replaced by an allograft, which is a cadaver bone implant. An allograft had the best chance that the rotator cuff would be successfully transplanted and therefore to recover full use of my shoulder. Although a giant cell tumor, sorry, although a giant cell tumor is often considered benign, it does, it does have a 5 to 10 percent recurrence rate. On May 20th in 2008, Dr. Rugraf performed a long and complicated surgery. He cut away all the muscles, tendons, and ligaments attached to the upper four to five inches of Barry's humerus that had the tumor. He then cut the bone just below the site of the tumor and replaced it with a cadaver bone allograft. Once again, we were being prayed for by hundreds of friends and family. For a second time, Barry went through months of painful recovery, physical therapy, and then a gradual return to work. For the remainder of 2008 and spring of 2009, I continued my attempt to regain mobility and strength in my right shoulder. It became apparent, however, that something was wrong. As I continued to have fairly constant pain with physical therapy and using my right arm, and yet the mobility did not return. In June of 2009, Dr. Rugraf advised me that the attempt to reattach my rotator cuff to the allograft had apparently failed. Continued efforts to regain the ability to lift my arm were doing nothing but causing pain and would not succeed in restoring full function. The good news was that I was able to perform almost all of the duties of my job with only slight impairment. <clears throat> the bad news was that I would have permanent, limited mobility and would likely experience chronic pain in my right shoulder. It was at this point that I believed that I would never again play golf or softball or two of my favorite activities, competitive volleyball and fishing. Neither would I likely be able to go kayaking, roughhousing with my girls, working with power tools, or even changing an overhead light bulb. I had been reared in a Christian household. I had been trained in the knowledge that God could always demand anything from us at any time, but that God also honored a righteous life and that the heartfelt prayers of the faithful were more powerful than mortals could know. Through this experience, both Barry and I had prayed with heartfelt sincerity to God, asking first of all for strength to accept his will and secondly, for life and healing. And then, as we continued to live within the hope of recovery for full restoration of Barry's and our family's normal life, despite terrible ongoing pain and great fear and uncertainty, Barry and I continued to live with the real hope that life would eventually go on as normal 
Implicit in that hope is the unspoken belief that God would honor our prayers and gift us with full restoration. For me, the greatest period of spiritual pain and growth happened that June in 2009 when I realized that despite how hard we had prayed, despite how much we had tried all our lives to be faithful to God, despite the marvels of modern medicine, despite my belief that Barry was a good man and deserved restoration, despite all my human calculation, God remains sovereign. God alone can indeed take away. I am so sorry. Anything at any time. And while I naively thought I understood what that meant, I found to my shock that I had little understanding of what it meant to be in the hand of God with no recourse, no other to turn to, and no other hope. The realization that God could take so much of my beloved husband's joy from him with no hope of return was very bitter. I realized that I had prayed for so many years to accept everything cheerfully from the hand of God and that I had not really understood how hard a thing that was. Being submissive under God's hand that summer was a very difficult lesson. <clears throat> that summer of 2009, um, at 43 years of age, I donated my golf clubs to a youth charity golf program. I sold my softball glove on eBay, and I gave my volleyball shoes and knee pads to Goodwill. I had resigned myself to non-competitive forms of exercise. By the fall of 2009, I decided that I would not take this line down. I first taught myself how to play racquetball left-handed. I joined a racquetball league and began playing. Then I taught myself how to play volleyball with only my left hand. This was a bit more difficult, but I was determined. Things were once again beginning to look good. Unfortunately, these activities came to an end in March 2010. A CAT scan and a biopsy found a regrowth of the giant cell tumor in the muscles around the right shoulder. My third major surgery was performed in April of 2010 to remove this area. Although Dr. Rugraff explored extensively, he could not find any trace of the tumor regrowth during surgery. While we were thankful for this, the extensive exploration caused this procedure to have a long and incredibly painful recovery, including a 2 a.m. return to the emergency room the morning after the surgery because of severe pain. That summer was very difficult, and although our friends and family continued to pray for us, Julie and I were afflicted with depression, and we struggled with the sense of the absence of God for the first time. And this ordeal was not yet over. In October that same year, my pain once again increased. A CAT scan showed that the cadaver bone allograft was breaking down. This is an uncommon but not rare complication, and it needed to be removed and replaced with a stainless steel artificial shoulder. The good news, there was no sign of the tumor this time. Every time I had surgery, in October of 2007, in May of 2008, in April of 2010, I thought it would be my last. Every time that I was back to work and out of physical therapy, I would send out an email updating all those people praying for us, thanking them and letting them know this was my last update. Then the next surgery would come along and I would have to re-enlist everyone back into prayer duty. <clears throat> I had my fourth <clears throat> major surgery in November 2010, less than seven months after surgery number three. 
Dr. Rugraff removed the head and neck of the humerus allograft and five of the seven screws in the plate, filled the shaft, the shaft with bone cement, and placed a stainless steel artificial humerus head. Now my right arm was one part me, one part cadaver bone, and one part stainless steel artificial joint. Once again, I was completely off work for a month and gradually increased to full-time by the spring of 2011. <clears throat> Able to perform my veterinary duties with only a slight handicap. Once again, I experienced a slow and painful recovery, including months of physical therapy. I talk about pain a lot in this story, and I know it sounds melodramatic, but it was awfully real to me. After each surgery, I needed to be on strong narcotic pain medicine for weeks to control the pain. Then I would be weaned down to twice daily doses of Advil and Tylenol, supplemented with two to four times a day tramadol. From September of 2007 through April of 2011, I was on some form of pain medication every day. I thank God that I never became addicted to any of my big gun medications. Of course, the pain was worst immediately after each surgery and during physical therapy. But I was in some degree of pain every day for four years. I did not talk much about my pain and tried to hide my pain from others as best as I could during all this time. Today, I still experience pain um, if I use my right arm too much, but thankfully, I no longer have pain every day and only take pain meds a few days a week. I do have some physical limitations. I cannot work at a normal desk or table because keeping my right arm up at that level for long hurts. I work best um, at the level of my waist, including computer work, where I have a lap desk on which I work on my laptop. While driving or for extended periods of sitting, I need an armrest or pillow for support to prevent having pain. At this time, I'm able to raise my right arm to just above my chest, but I cannot keep it there for long. I have no attachment of muscles or ligaments or tendons above my shoulder. And therefore, when I raise my right arm, it is with my deltoid muscles doing all the lifting. However, God has blessed my recovery in many ways. Most often, no one can tell that I'm handicapped. I am able to do most things required of me with my right arm except for heavy lifting or any work that involves using both arms above the chest. That means that I can examine dogs and cats and do surgery as long as it stays below the level of my chest. By adjusting to the limitations of my right arm, I am playing competitive volleyball and even bass fishing and fly fishing again. That makes me very happy. I am not able to golf or play softball. I am still very careful with my right shoulder. Um, I cannot sleep on my right side. Um, I, have to, I cannot support myself with my right arm. I see Dr. Rugraff every other year, including radiographs of my right shoulder and my chest looking for possible tumor spread. Although my last surgery was nine years ago, I'm aware that this might not yet be the end of this story. It is a reality that the tumor could come back, or I could need a new shoulder to implant. I pray to God that it does not, but I am prepared to live with what God has in mind for me. Bob Lonick's sermon last month on Hebrews 11, 13 to 24 was very meaningful for us. God the Father disciplines his sons and daughters. How is God making us more like Jesus in our current circumstances? Through all that has happened, I believe that God had several lessons for us. For me, I am often impatient. I am definitely not a sedentary person. I took pride in the fact that I work hard at home, in my house, in my profession, and even in play. 
I also had lived a very physically active lifestyle, including playing several competitive sports. At age 42, in 2007, I lost the ability to do many of these things. <clears throat> the first time I could not open a jar of pickles for my wife, I felt like I had been emasculated. <clears throat> I spent several months in a shoulder sling before and after all of these surgeries, which as you probably know is a magnet for friends and family and even complete strangers coming up with questions. So what did you do to yourself? What's wrong with your arm? Let me guess, shoulder cuff, or I'm sorry, rotator cuff surgery? I was often the center of attention for all the wrong reasons in my mind. I wanted people to be laughing at one of my jokes or interested in what I had to say, not to feel sorry for me or pity for me or ask if there was anything they could do to help me. I often found myself watching my wife and kids doing my household work and at the clinic watching my colleagues performing surgeries I should have been doing. Several times during those four years, a group of friends or family came um, to my house and to do my yard work while I could do nothing but sit and watch. I also spent many days post-op needing someone else to bathe me and several weeks needing help getting dressed, especially tying my shoes. I spent the last nine years being told that I should not lift this or because I have, I'm sorry, not, not lift, lift this or that because I have a bum arm. These are all very humbling experiences for me. God knew that I needed to learn to rest and that a good dose of humility would not hurt either. Through all of the pain, I had to rely on God to sustain me because I found that I did not possess the strength or stamina myself. Leaning on his strength in order to deal with my pain and my uncertainty and being unable to perform day-to-day -day simple actions with my arm have all been lessons in patience and endurance for me. One thing that helped me through all of this, especially in the early days when we did not know if Barry's tumor was cancerous or benign, was the truth of the angel's words in Mark's gospel. The angel told the women not to be afraid because Jesus was going ahead of them and that they would see him when they got to Galilee. I did not know as I sat by my husband that Tuesday in Ortho Indy Hospital what the next year or two would bring. I did not know if Barry would be fine, if he would be lacking an arm, or if he would even be alive. Nevertheless, as I sat and waited, I knew that God knew. I knew that I did not have to see into the future because Jesus was at once with me at the bedside and already with Barry in recovery and with us all the next year because he's not bound by our space and time. He had already gone ahead of me and I would see him there, wherever the future took us. Though I did not know what even the next minute would bring, God knew, and it was a tremendous comfort. Another principle that was reinforced over this experience was trusting God with everything, Barry's life, health, comfort, as well as our financial well-being. The clinic managed to pay its bills during much of this time, thanks to a good man twice delaying his retirement, but it was not as profitable because the economy turned down and Barry was unable to lead as the chief doctor and the business owner. During 2008 and 2010, my husband was completely out of his job for two full months each year, and each year there was a significant decrease in personal production for another five months. Barry's salary at that time was based on his personal production. Despite disability insurance, our family experienced real financial difficulty, and we struggled for several years. 
I'd been a stay-at-home mom for 15 years and had homeschooled our children, and so I could not just easily jump back into the workforce. We had always lived frugally, tithed, and been generous with our resources, but over these years, we had to re-examine how we were handling our finances and to set aside a more significant cushion in case of anything that would halt Barry's income for more than just a few weeks. We feel that it was only God's mercy that prevented us from a very serious financial crisis. <clears throat> so what's with the title of this faith story? In 1976, Bobby Bear sang Drop Kick Me Jesus through the goalposts of life. To an observer, a field goal kick looked beautiful, graceful, easy, even peaceful. Spectators watch a great kick with admiration, and it achieves something good for their team. However, being the football is a completely different thing. <laughs> the, the experience of the football is that of being violently booted from a place of rest, tumbling end over end, out of its own control, and on an unknown trajectory. In our Christian walks, we often pray, I want to do God's will. I want God to use me so that others will see God's beauty and glory in me. It sounds good and indeed is worthy of being desired. However, we must know the gospel truth, that being Christ-like is a life of denial, humility, smallness, and service. We are told all through Scripture that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness, that the absolute insufficiency of human beings reveals the total sufficiency of God. We really like the idea of God's strength being seen in us, but not the reality of our weakness. It's rarely easy or pretty or convenient or painless to be the football. However, as we all know, Jesus has already won the game. The ultimate destination of that football is in the arms of the victor being carried off the field. Over the last several years, I have relied on Scripture many times for strength, hope, and guidance. One of the most meaningful to me throughout this experience is 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 10. <clears throat> we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. If Paul could persevere with all he had been through, then I should be able to try to persevere in my circumstances. And as Paul tells us, only with God's help is it possible. After years of believing, we were willing to live as Christians in all circumstances. We were given the awful opportunity to live through times when we were hard-pressed on every side and perplexed and even struck down. And for the most part, we remained prayerful, joyful, and thankful to God. And then when we seemed unable to pray, God placed someone there to pray for us. We sensed the constant prayers of our friends and families through all of this. Several times I was told that I was handling myself very well through all this. I was able to reply that it was not my own strength, but God who was sustaining me. That it was my trust in God and his perfect will for my life, no matter what he had in mind for me, that allowed me to persevere. There was not a day that went by in which we did not lean on God <clears throat> and trust in his grace and mercy. I thank God for many things, as I know that this experience could have turned out very differently. 
I thank him for all those churches and prayer warriors who lifted my family and me up for so long. I praise him for a wife who loves me and stood with me for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. I praise God that I have a right arm. I can still wrap both arms around my wife and my children. I am thankful that I can still work. I thank God that I was not a large animal vet or an electrician <laughs> or any other occupation, uh, that this handicap would have put me out of a job. I thank him for not having to go through radiation or chemotherapy. I praise God every day that uh, I am, in fact, alive. There's me fishing <laughs> once again. <clears throat> thank Are you. there any questions? Yes. Our oldest, our oldest was um, 15. Was that right? Yeah. Did I get that right? 14, 15. 14, 15. It, it was a long span. And then the youngest um, is three years younger than that. Um, they, I would like to say that we were able to use this experience to build tremendous faith in their lives. Unfortunately, we were often just so wrapped up in what was going on um, that, that they're, I think they maybe could have gotten more out of it had we been more with it, I don't know. But um, <laughs> I, I do recall two things. Um, our oldest daughter was with the Indianapolis Children's Choir and she had been promised that she would be able to take a trip with the choir when they went to South Africa. Um, and she was incredibly looking forward to that. It was going to be this wonderful thing. Um, and I don't remember at which surgery point that this was. It was somewhere in the middle, I think. And I remember sitting in bed that night, and um, he was not there, I don't know where he was, and um, reading a book before bed. And she came in, and she sat down on the side of the mattress. And she said, um, it costs a lot of money to go to South Africa. And I said, yes, it does. And she said, I still would like to go. I said, I know. And she said, Dad, really, I can't go right now with this stuff happening with Dad, can I? And I said, if you need to go and want to go, we'll make it happen. And she said, I don't have to go. And so that was really, she got it. She got the uncertainty. She got the, the idea of sacrifice. Um, our youngest, you know, um, she was very in tune with Barry. She would know when he was in pain. She was aware because there were, his face would do things, and I was not even aware there was a vein on his forehead that would pop out when he was in pain or something. And so she would often say, you know, Dad, you, you need to stop. You need to settle, settle down. Just stop what you're doing. You know, you hurt. Um, both girls were very good about helping me. Um, I, I just felt so overwhelmed. Everything. He could do almost nothing. E everything. The yard, the house, everything was on me. And um, they helped a lot. And it was really great to see them step up and um, do more. It was wonderful. So. Yeah, our, our oldest, when Julie came home from the, uh, the appointment when, with Dr. Wilson, oh, when yeah. Gosh, we were told there was a tumor, um, when 
Julie got home, Evelyn, who was only, again, 11, maybe, uh, did, wasn't fully aware. In fact, they went with me to two previous appointments with Dr. Wilson. When they thought it was just rotator yeah, cuff. rotator cuff. Yeah. They were actually with me because, again, we were homeschooling, so I'd take them with me. But when uh, Julie got home um, and she, Elizabeth could see what she looked like, she actually asked um, Julie, you know, does, does Dad have cancer? Yeah. Um, so she was aware of what was uh, going enough. on. Yeah. Did that yeah. answer the question? Thank you. Did you continue to I did. I did. It was, again, it was the best of all possible situations because when you're in that situation initially, when we did not know what his long-term viability was, you know, you want your family around you. And then as things became more and more difficult, I think it was comforting to them to see my daddy's here, you know, this is okay, we're, we're together, we've got this. Um, so yeah, it was a good thing, it was a good thing. Yes, <clears throat> yes, I cannot do, I can't throw a ball, um, I throw like a girl now. Um, <clears throat> I, 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 uh, I know. Hey, no. So I'm sorry. He's so politically incorrect. <laughs> I am so sorry. Both our daughters would call him on that, but they're not I, here, so I have to. Don't say that. Yes. I, I you throw badly. Yes. Okay. He asked if you play racquetball left-handed. Yes. Okay. Uh, I played. I played racquet. I played racquetball right-handed when I was in um, high school and college. I had, had given it up because I uh, wanted to play other sports. I enjoyed uh, baseball, softball, and uh, especially volleyball a lot more. Um, but uh, when those were taken, I bought a racket, went to the gym, just started whacking it against the wall, yeah, and uh, just slowly, slowly um, learned it. I tried to do tennis, and it, uh, it would work a little, but just too too long of a racket with left hand it just i'm not that coordinated with the left hand it could never serve with my my left arm so i could never get the tennis but i tried <clears throat> don beachy um <laughs> yes <laughs> we were at um uh broad ripple united methodist church and for a variety of reasons um we had left that church and had been attended several others. We attended Church at the Crossing for a while, and then we were at Second Pres for a while. And, um, you know, you have to stay for a while to get to know people and programs and everything and see if it's a good fit. And um, nothing was ever fitting, and so then we kind of bopped back to Broad Ripple. There was a different pastoral leadership and everything. And at that point, they had um, Village Life going there. And um, Barry sat down. We just were so impressed. Don Beachy preached like nobody we had ever heard. We, we, didn't, we weren't raised evangelical. And, and Don Beachy, Beachy just, just preached amazingly. And so my husband sat down and talked with him and said, look, you know, we want what you've got, but we don't like village life. You know, we're not contemporary worship people. We're not comfortable here either, but we want what you're saying. Where can we go? And he goes, well, have you heard of Faith Church? They have a traditional service, you know. And so we're like, we're there. And um, we, we thoroughly, thoroughly, I, 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 lo I love this church. This is a great church. Yeah, we, we had actually looked at Faith Church when we were uh, looking for a, a new church home. But Julie's in the choir, and we worship during the uh, uh, traditional service and wanted uh, worship with our children. We don't, um, that's how we had always worshiped. And so um, Faith's 
children's ministry schedule just didn't work um, with that. We were given some misinformation about yeah. the schedule. We didn't look into it personally. Somebody told us, and, and so we could have come, but we, we were told wrong. So. Sorry, it's bad memories. <laughs> I can only speak for me. Um, you know, I mean, don't misunderstand me here. You fake it till you make it. You just keep praying when the sky, doesn't it say in the Bible somewhere the sky is as brass? You just keep praying. And you know that even though you can't feel God at all, he does hear you. He hears. And so you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and even though that feeling of support isn't there you just think how i i will not lay down and die here i will not i'm gonna just keep putting one foot in front of the other and i don't feel god but i know he's there and so we're just gonna live minute by minute and just do it and I don't know. I mean, I know that's not particularly profound, but you? Um, I, I continued to uh, have personal uh, prayer time and devotion time and, and reading several um, uh, uh, men's personal uh, uh, Christian books. Um, what's the guy the on the edge or something? The uh, Oh, Eldridge? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Eldridge, Todd Eldridge or something um, like that, yeah. Uh, Patrick Morley, uh, The Man in the Mirror, um, several books that I would continue through, and, and there were uh, chapters in there that were uh, very meaningful for me um, uh, about you know, suffering and disappointment with God um, and um, uh, scripture. Again, lots of scripture. Um, have uh, scripture. And there was a devotional that we used, uh, Prayer for God's People. Yep. A guide to prayer guide for to all prayer God's, for God's people, people and a guide to prayer for God's ministers, ministers. and other, ministers so and other it, servants. I think it's United yeah. Methodist, but Publishing those, house, those yeah. uh, references, that's what I would do my devotions through. And the individual readings that they would have, uh, Foster. Yeah, Richard, Richard Foster. Foster. Quaker, uh, a lot of, yeah. yeah, a lot of his books. Money, Sex, and Power. Well, now it's called something else. But you know, those books also I would uh, um, read and read excerpts out of. And then uh, hymns were, uh, there's always a hymn in this uh, daily guide to prayer. And just so many times uh, you're just looking at it and saying, this is exactly what I needed to hear. Um, and you know, it's, it's a, we know it's a, it's a God thing. Um, in other days there would be not much there and I'd have to find it elsewhere in the Bible or what have you but many times it just would um, hit me um, that, that word from that, uh, uh, that saint um, that who writes great Christian uh, um, theology and thought um, or the actual scripture or a hymn would just be a perfect fit and so we were buoyed by those sort of things just keep, just keep going sorry Oh, yes. <clears throat> um, thankfully, I have a job that every day is different. Every day is joyful. Um, there are days, unfortunately, where, uh, so being a veterinarian, I have to deal with death. I have a dog right now that on Saturday I took x-rays of has a bone tumor. Um, and as I, I mean, as I see the bone tumor of uh, this distal, uh, uh, where is that? 
the front leg. So the, the distal ulna, um, uh, I am uh, just cringe. My shoulder just tightens. Um, uh, but I have, I have to deal with that. But that is still joyful because I can walk those people through, and I often do um, admit, you know, um, you don't know this. <laughs> you, you can't know this. Um, but I had a, a bone tumor myself. I've been through there. So I, I, I'm not just, uh, you know, talking as a veterinarian. I'm talking to someone that has actually experienced the pain your dog is going through. So occasionally have that. But again, the joy in my work, um, uh, I love being a veterinarian. I love the uh, practice. I love interacting with people. I love interacting with the pets. Um, again, uh, I've, I've, I don't think I've ever not enjoyed uh, my work. So, um, and I, I have great staff. Uh, I have great uh, fellow doctors to work with. Um, um, just uh, everything is joyful there. I've been, again, blessed in so many ways. Dr. Bond continues to bless us after the fact. Uh, there's many things that he continues to do that just it blows us out of the water. What, what kind of blessing that we've had because we ended up there through God's intervention. Just, just don't ask to, just don't ask me to pick up a fifty-pound dog. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We have to call in extra staff. A little, staff little help for that. here. Yeah. <laughs> yes, go ahead. I, I think um, coming together uh, and sitting down um, uh, together and discussing where we are, where we need to be, what, are, um, um, what can we do to get what we need to do, whether we're talking oftentimes they were financially based beginnings, but they would often lead to um, more of life together um, discussions. Um, and so supporting one another in that way I think was uh, uh, one way besides what we have already answered. Um. For me, uh, being in worship, um, at that time, we, we weren't here. And so opening up a hymnal and turning to the number and looking at it, I mean, that, that just this lift of, of the words and the weight of the hymnal and knowing that my grandfather and my family, you know, had done this same thing for years. Now I'm seeing off the screen, but you know, it's okay. Um, but that was a, a big thing. And um, another thing, family, so if this is, this is important because if you ever know somebody who's doing something like this, be there for them in ways that seem minuscule okay because I remember one time this was um, when I talked about the depression we realized his rotator cuff was not gonna never be able to do this and we got that news I was sitting on the front porch with my mother kind of processing it and I also um, had been working very hard about some household tasks that, again, he couldn't help with. And um, I was even then having the beginnings of some arthritis in my hands. And so I can remember sitting there with my mom, not really saying a lot, but just saying, you know, he's never going to lift his arm again, you know. And then inconsequentially, 
I just burst into tears and I said, I'm so tired. And then I held up my hands and I said, my hands hurt so bad. <laughs> and my mom didn't say anything. She just reached over and she took my hands in both of hers and just started to rub them. And we just sat there, just rubbing my hands. What do you say? <laughs> but come alongside. Even if there's nothing to be said, just be there. Um, that, that was helpful to know that you know, God was there with skin on and um, helping us. So, yeah, it was good. It was good. I hope that answered your question. Yeah. Sorry, this is so, gosh, it's terrible to think about this stuff again. Oh, it was not a happy time. Fall, <clears throat> summer of <clears throat> summer of 2007 to a April of 2011 was when I went off pain meds. I, uh, tramadol was in my drawer, but not in my everyday pill drawers, um, uh, where I had to take it. So I would say that the, that would be the time. 2007 to 2011. Yeah, four. Like yeah. Yeah. Almost four four years. Bone cement, bone cement, yep. yeah, bone cement. Yep. Bone cement. Yep. It's nifty. Yeah, they, um, they, they use it frequently, especially with, uh, for implants. Oh, yeah, that, that, was, that was something Dr. Rugraf uh, mentioned. Um, uh, was the, that's something we, we would include. I found, thank you for reminding me. We included that in our prayers, I think, the first, uh, after the first surgery or two, giving thanks for uh, the technology mm -hmm. um, that uh, 20 years before that, um, certain things would not have been um, done. He just um, would have lost I, I think his arm. The, I think the bone allograft um, was very much uh, a, a newer um, thing. The stainless steel had been around uh, for a while, maybe not uh, 30, 40 years, but certainly 20 years. But uh, some of the other new things and the, you know, the technology uh, to do um, the surgery that he did, uh, uh, taking them apart and then putting it back together again. Um, uh, I guess we, we, we would thank God for Dr. Rugraf so many times because the, was it the anesthesiologist that came in? One oh, time? gosh. Yeah, Told I, me. I, I'm not aware of many of the things. That yeah, because he stop, was always so. in recovery. But yeah, the, the anesthesiologist was talking to me at one point and said, man, alive. He, they came out. He came out of the surgery. He goes, that guy's a genius. You know, because they, they map the cadaver bone because they, they've got to, it's got to fit. You know, you can't just slap something on there. And so they map that out. And there's like micro measurements. And it's all computer and everything that they take. Um, and he said, the anesthesiologist said, watching that dude work. He's like, it's amazing. He just like does this and does, and he's like, wow, you guys, you guys are really fortunate to have him. I mean, and we've heard subsequent nurses uh, that have worked with him say that the man is a genius. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. The medical profession's amazing. Do you have pulsation in your right arm at all? Your yes, yeah, no, never had any nerve problems, no. None. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I'll say, okay, so I actually watched him perform. He's a soft tissue sarcoma and orthopedic oncologist surgeon. 
and I got the privilege <laughs> of assisting him on his own dog. <clears throat> his, his, his dog had an axillary, uh, sorry, uh, an underarm uh, lipoma that was really pushing uh, the limits of the dog's ability to walk and was probably and turned out to be in amongst the brachial plexus, all the nerves that go together. And I said, I've never, I've never been there. Okay, surgeon. I do a lot of surgeries, but I've not done that one. He says, well, I, can I could. I've done this about a thousand times. I said, you're wrong. Seriously? <clears throat> they scrubbed in together at the clinic. <clears throat> at my clinic. And, and, he, and he, this guy did surgery on his own dog with Barry to reference some of the anatomy for him. I mean, what a fruit he, loop. He, the I guy's know. a nut. I he, mean, he's, he's like, yeah, I'll operate yeah, on my dog. Because <laughs> the, the dog's shoulder is very, he goes, what's this muscle? I said, no, that's, that's, that's the easiest. It's okay. You're, 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 you're okay. Good. You got this, here. you know. Yeah, no, and I'll, the, put it, I'll put it back together again. Go ahead and cut it. And and his his anesthesiologist came out later, going, "Wow, that guy is a genius." <laughs> you know, I mean, he is. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Thank you.